Advance After Combat. So this is Advance After Combat. Uh, this is our November episode. Um, it's going to be Jason and I tonight. Unfortunately, we are not going to have Marshall with us. Uh, that should make the guy who gave us a recent review complain about our filthy language very happy, even though dipshit, <laughs> the thing is clearly marked as explicit, but... Where was that review? On that aspect of it. I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. Real, real, real idea. Oh, anyway. Nice. Wonderful person. Uh, he got his money's worth. Exactly. Just like all our listeners. Yep. Uh, so, so this is a podcast about war games. Uh, the, the experiences we have war gaming, our impressions of war gaming, and, and maybe some other stuff that we'll talk about. So, uh, that's it. Nice. So, let's start. Jason, do you have anything that you're really lusting after? No, I've actually, <laughs> I've actually sworn off buying anything until probably February of next year. Wow. Yeah, I kind of went off the deep end. Um, I don't know, something happened with my spending, <laughs> and I'm right. way, way over budget. So, Does that include pre-orders? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's part of it. Some pre-orders hit all at the same time. And I cut back, but um, in my trip to Dallas, I think, kind of did me in a little bit, too. Well, but I mean, like, do you count your pending pre-orders as purchases? I don't think I have anything that would possibly charge between now and then. I I cut out probably 75% of my pre-orders. Oh, so you went through and hacked through them all? Yeah. Like, the, well, I had probably five or six GMT pre-orders. Um, the only one I kept was, um, Cactus Air Force. But it, you didn't keep Fields of Fire? Oh, no, I, I did keep those two. So, so there's three that I kept. But I cut out, I think, four or five. Cause I thought, didn't Fields of Fire make the cut? Yeah, but I don't think it'll be out anytime soon. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I was waiting for you to get that one because I'm planning on buying it after pre-order. <laughs> yeah, that one looks good. Yeah, and that's, it's probably worth worth waiting for the for the good price. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the pre-order in on that one. And I guess lusting, um, I want Polis, which is kind of a Euro war game hybrid kind of thing. But is that that's the Peloponnesian War? Yeah, cool. It's uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later. It's it's good. I don't know when um, when I'll be able to get it, but that, that's high up on my on my wish list. Now, is that already out? Yeah, and I think it had a pretty limited release, so I guess it's pretty hard to come by. Um, I, I guess it was just over over in Europe somewhere that they released it. Yeah, I mean, we had a guild member. Was it Ralph that was playing that? Who was playing that? Um, he might have been. I know Sirius Lee was. He's, uh, and again, we'll talk about him more later. But he was talking about, it and it might have been Ralph, yeah. Yeah, I think somebody, like one of our more hardcore-ish guys was talking about it, I think. Yeah. Well, I've got, uh, I've got Last Chance at Victory, or a Victory, not sure, uh, on pre-order. That's the MMP game? That is the MMP Gettysburg game. Nice. I have no idea if I'm going to like it. I've never played the series. I guess it's regimental scale. But I got so caught up in the frenzy when they were offering it, I just <laughs> had to have did it. it. I had to have it. Uh, I am lurking in ambush for the MMP after Thanksgiving sale. 
and I'm looking to maybe get Battle Above the Clouds or Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, Battle Above the Clouds looks really good. Yeah, I like the West, uh, since my ancestors were all like Missourians and they fought on the Western theater for the Confederacy. The West has always been, and though Chickamauga is pretty East mm-hmm. for a Western yeah. one, it's still one of my favorite theaters. So, uh, I mean, if they made a game on like Auka or Corinth or any of those, I'd be ecstatic, but I don't know if that's gonna happen anytime soon. And that's the, uh, uh, Here I Stand guy. For what? Battle Above the Clouds. Oh, it's, uh, Great Campaigns of the Civil War. Is that yeah. the same guy? It, um, he did this game, Ed Beach. He did, um, Here I Stand and Bridging Queen. Uh-huh. Same guy. Well, no, this is the one that's, uh, part of the series that, that, uh, Stonewall Jackson's way is part of. Yeah, yeah. Same guy? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone wants to do one on, like, the Vicksburg campaign there or anything, go. I'm definitely into that, so. Or Shiloh? I don't know, is there, there might even be one on Shiloh. There I'm might sure. be, yeah. And then, uh, then Lucas kind of is been screaming about Kingdom of Heaven for a while, so. I might actually get that one. It looks pretty good. And then good. Field... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just saying it looks, it looks pretty good. I've, uh, my buddy Matt has it, and we've been pretty close a couple times to playing it, but just never got there. Yeah, then Fields of Fire, I'm definitely waiting for. I guess No Retreat North Africa's out now, so I'm going to wait and see the reviews. Did you play the first one? I did. I liked it. I didn't. I haven't played it. I read the rules. The, the cool thing about it was is they have a, a part of the No Retreat system that does counter blows, where you can force your opponent to make attacks he wouldn't necessarily want to make. You oh, know, that's kind interesting. Of, yeah, kind of in a game... Uh, the, the active player gets to choose, like, oh, I'm gonna focus these three units on this one guy and ignore the five defenders that are next to them. Um, but when you do a counter blow, you actually force him, you can bleed off attacks that he might not necessarily have wanted to do. That's a pretty cool mechanism. Yeah, that's cool. And in fact, first time we played it, we didn't get that part of it. <laughs> and we played, we've been drinking a bit at a convention, and uh, it didn't, the game didn't seem to work very well. And then the next day when we were sober, we played it correctly. And that seems pretty realistic. I mean, you don't always want to attack, but you might get engaged and be forced right. to. That's cool. Yeah, because, you know, I think too many times the games let players have this uh, uh, supreme control over what their guys do. Yeah, godlike with power. The, yeah, with the full satellite knowledge of the battlefield and counter blows kind of make it to where you can kind of do spoiling attacks. You kind of can spoil a guy's offensive. So, so that's it pretty much. Those are... Kingdom of Heaven seems a little bit outside of your wheelhouse. What? Kingdom of Heaven does. Yeah, it is. I mean... I've been reading my History of the Crusades series mm-hmm. that I got for my birthday, so... That'll uh, do it. <laughs> I'm kind of into it. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's nice. how YouTube looks, right? You yep, read a book, yep. and then it gets you into a period. Yeah, or even the other way around. Mm-hmm. Play a new game and have to read everything you can about it. So you went down to Dallas? I did. Um, so how's that? It was good, man. I flew out there on a Monday... I uh, had some had some quick dinner. Uh Falcon Zero Zero. What what is his nickname? Campbell. Campbell, Campbell recommended a barbecue place. Uh went and checked that out. It was pretty good. Sat at the bar and 
chatted up the waitress or the, the bartender. Uh, then Tuesday night ended up working all night, kind of bullshit, but, um, I was out there for training and just kind of wanted to be in training for a week, but I ended up working probably 40 hours while I was out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, Wednesday night hooked up with, uh, Sirius Lee and, uh, his buddies, Mike and Mark for, for a couple games. Uh, Lee and I played, uh, Polis, which we talked about earlier. It's, it's interesting. So I've, I've seen it or read it com- compared to Twilight Struggle. So I was expecting just a kind of straightforward CDG, uh, in the Twilight Struggle vein where it's political points instead of troops. But it's not, it's not really like that at all. There's, there's cards, but only for this like battle mini game that you play. The rest of it's, it's pretty Euro-y in that you're collecting resources and you're trading, uh, for other resources. But there's still a ton of conflict in it. You're trying to conquer territories so that you can tax them and get the resources. But combat only happens if there's, I think it's eight troops, uh, any number from either side in one region at the end of a player's turn. And then you do this quick little mini game, uh, and, and the combat doesn't necessarily have to completely resolve. It can, players, or the, the forces can stay in the same, uh, stay, stay in the same region between okay. turns, but if it gets back to eight, then there's another conflict. And this is a total of eight between the total of both sides? Right, the total of both sides. Um, and that, as you play through the game, we played a one turn scenario and it lasted about 90 minutes, but the, the full campaign or whatever is 90 minutes, or I mean, uh, is four turns and it was 90 minutes a turn for us. So it's, it's a longer game for this type of game, but it's interesting as the turns progress in the first turn, only three units of either side can be in any region. So you can't build up and there's definitely, there's no combat. And then the next turn, four forces from either side are allowed in each space. And then the last two turns are five. So the, the second turn you can have combat, but it's probably not very likely. Um, and you can stop yourself from being attacked. You can only put three in, you know, so even if the other guy puts four in, you're still safe. Uh, and then the last turn you can, you can definitely load up, but it's, it's definitely an interesting game, very engaging. Um, it has some of those tough decision points that that you find in some of the more typical Euro games, but with plenty of conflict, I mean, you have, you have to fight. Um, now, so my question is, so does having more troops in an area give you control of the area? Um, yes. So if I have three and you have two? Yep. Then I control it. Uh, and I, I get to tax it and do all that, uh, if, if I'm remembering correctly. And taxing is how you get resources and then you're using those resources to build troops, um, to, you have to feed all of your people at the end of the turn. Um, you can use some of the resources to build, like, they're not called wonders, they're called something else, but basically wonders you can build that give you victory points or, you know, other resources. Now, um, so how does the game kind of reflect, like, Athens traditionally had like, was a naval power, yep. and, and, and Sparta's an, a land power. So the the setup reflects that um, in that the forces are a little imbalanced, um, you know, toward land and sea. In 
And in combat, Athens always has initiative if it's a sea battle, and Sparta always has initiative on a land battle. Oh, cool. And initiative means um, even if you're not the aggressor, you attack first. With the, the the attacking, you play two cards down, and the other player has to defend against those cards with ma- matching cards. So, it, you know, it's a quick little kind of gamey game piece of it, but it's still pretty technical in what you're doing. Um, you definitely want the troop advantage, uh, either land or sea, because you get more cards. So even if I'm Sparta and I'm attacking Athens and I bring in more troops, I'm going to get more cards to fight with. But they have initiative and they get to attack first. And then that, I'm sorry, so that means you take, uh, a side that doesn't have initiative, do they take casualties first? Yes. Yep. Okay. Or, or you defend against them, which is depleting your hand a little bit. Now, do, uh, personalities play a role in the game? No, there's no, it's pretty abstract in that, in that sense. There's no leaders, no, you know, nothing like that. Okay. It's, you know, and I know saying it's a, it's a Euro war game hybrid would turn a lot of people off, but it's, it's, uh, it's super engaging. Uh, we played Hearts and Minds. It has a similar feel to that, where it's kind of area control, um, but it has that resource management kind of piece tacked onto it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's very cool. The only Peloponnesian, I played the Peloponnesian War. That game, that, which was they, uh, kind of a solo game. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one, the more Kerman, where you play both sides. Right, where you play until you get to a certain victory point, then you switch over to the other side. Yeah. That, that's the only one I played. That one looks pretty cool. So I played, uh, I had uh, Campbell come over mm-hmm. to my, my chateau, and uh, we played... Um, uh, Your chateau. I'm not going to... I'm not going to try to pronounce the, the French version of the game. So it's the Battle of Moscow, okay, uh, by Clash of Arms. This is a La Batil game? Yeah. Uh, Campbell had a little bit of trepidation because he was concerned I might be a serial killer. <laughs> uh, so I assured him you were not. That. He kept those fears very close to the vest. <laughs> and didn't mention it to anybody. Not anyone at all. Right, so then uh, he came over, we had a good time, we played uh, a couple rounds, a couple turns of the Shevardino uh, scenario, which is the first scenario of the game, and uh, we had a good time. I mean, he's just, he was actually a pretty smart guy, he he doesn't have a lot of experience necessarily as a war gamer, but he really picked up on everything very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like a, a beginner game. No, not at all. So, um, it, partially it's maybe that the rules are... are Easy to grasp, but I also think he just kind of gets, he got a lot of the basic concepts right away. So, uh, it wasn't, I didn't feel at all as if I was playing with a guy who was inexperienced. He did really well. And, uh, we had some drinks, had some fun with it, and then, uh, went on. Nice. So, he made it home alive. <laughs> Until next time. Right. Uh, what else did you play while you were down in Dallas? Uh, we played a couple Euro games. Um, I, yeah, I, nothing of real. Yeah, that's all we need to do. <laughs> nothing of real. Um, no, a lot of fun, but um, had a, had a blast with those guys. Uh, and then they actually recommended uh, while I was hanging out with them, they recommended a, a game store in Plano, Texas, called Madness. And okay. when I got there, I knew I was going to be there for a while, so I wanted to spend some money while I was there. Uh, I thought I could expense it, but when I got back, I I realized I couldn't. <laughs> I, I thought we could expense uh, entertainment, but 
that wasn't the case. But so I wanted to go to a game store. Um, I went to one Tuesday before I hooked up with those guys or Wednesday before I hooked up with those guys. But they told me about this store and, and I had seen it when I was looking for, for stores and it's called Madness Games and Comics. And every comic and game store I've ever been in is comics and then they have like magic cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Right. And they said, no, you have to go check the store out. It's, it used to be a grocery store. These guys bought it out and filled it full of comics and games. So I, I drove and it was like a 40 minute drive to get there in Dallas traffic, which sucks ass, by the way. Right. Nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so I, I drove up there and walked in and it's a friggin' grocery store. You walk in, there's the cash register right up front, and then half is chock full of games, the other side's chock full of comics and collectibles. Um, is there like a, is there like a big gaming area? Yeah, huge gaming area in the back. Uh, the magic cards and shit is all the way in the back corner, off by itself. No one has to engage with any of that stuff. Um, and they had games that I've never seen in the stores before. I mean, just almost anything you could think of. They had a second edition ASL rulebook sitting on the shelf, and that thing's been out of print forever. Oh, so they have, did they have like used games? No, it's all new, and it's all oh, wow. marked at regular retail. I mean, there's no markup on these way out of print games. Um, and I didn't spend a, a terrible amount of money there, um, because I'm limited on bag space coming back. But definitely, if you're in the Dallas area, check out Madness. Uh, thanks to those guys for, for showing me that. And then on, um, it was either Wednesday night or Thursday night, I played a solitaire sci-fi game that I videoed called Hidden Intruder. That's basically like the movie Alien. Oh, that's the one you have the video up on your, uh, your channel? Yeah. Your YouTube channel? Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've been playing these sci-fi quote unquote war games lately. Um, Last Frontier and Hidden Intruder. And they're, they're a lot of fun. Um, I think, I mean, they're, they're conflict games. I think a lot of people would have a hard time calling them war games, but, um, both those games are a lot of fun. Well, I mean, there's fighting, right? There's fighting. Um, I, I think a lot of people define them as historical if, if you say war game, but I guess if you say sci-fi war game, it's pretty clear what you're talking about. No, I think, I think basically our, our mission statement is, we're just doing board games, so I mean, I think we can do fantasy, fantasy historical, sci-fi. or sci-fi. That's fair. So, I mean, if there's war, yeah, there, there, especially in Last Frontier, there's a shit pot full of fighting. I mean, it's, it's, so Last Frontier is more aliens, where Hidden Front, Hidden Intruder is alien, um, Hidden Hidden Intruder is some lab animal kind of freaks out and evolves or mutates and gets loose. Is this the one where the Marines start in the little shuttle and they have to get on the ship? No, that's Last Frontier. Okay. So that one, it's, I mean, there's freaking aliens everywhere and they're killing people and tearing them apart. And it's a lot of fun. It's really, really hard, which can be frustrating. But mm-hmm. uh, as an immersive kind of war, you know, sci-fi war game experience, it's it's definitely pretty cool. And it's a tiny little company making them, which, you know, I'm a big fan. Now, did you have to, did you have to make those parts yourself? No. No, it's okay. a, the company is called Print and Play Productions, but they, right. what they do is produce games that would typically be print and play, but instead of you building them, they build them for you and just charge you 
parts and materials kind of thing. Oh, that's cool because like the uh, title makes me run screaming for the hills. Yeah, and and so Hidden Frontier is just kind of typical war game counters. Like they feel die cut. They're hand cut. I don't know how he does it, but they they feel like they're die cut. The last frontier ones are like the laser. Do you have any experience with those ones? The laser cut like wood counters. Yes. So yeah, the last frontier is like that. So oh, super cool. super high quality. Um, relatively cheap. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun. And, and it's a eight and a half by 11 folder that you can stick in your backpack or, you know, luggage and take on a trip with you, which has, <laughs> has definitely been coming in handy for me lately. No, oh, yeah, that look cool. I liked it when you're like, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, helped myself to the complimentary wine and then went back up to my hotel and played. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I wish I had a game like that when I was it's on my training. Yeah, yeah, it definitely comes in handy. I've I've been picking up a lot of just kind of little games that I can take with me and kind of shoot the shit in a hotel room. Well, I played uh, Midway over Skype with Lucas from the Guild, Lucas Brooks, Lucas Brooks. and uh, it's a it's a, a World at War. So we basically just did the Midway scenario. Oh, okay. Kind of just walk through it. I mean, it all, all takes place in one little hex on the map. Yeah, that's so. crazy. So yeah, it was a big battle. A bunch of aircraft carriers were damaged, and I think the Japanese might have gotten us a very minor victory, but I think we had fun with that. So explain I to think. me how that works. It's just he's in one hex and you're in one hex, and well, the scenario is basically uh, the Japanese are trying to invade Midway, so um, the all the American task forces start in Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then the Japanese come in one big glob of task forces heading for Midway on a, on a sea invasion mission. And then the Americans basically have a chance to intercept. And when they intercept, basically you'll, you'll roll, uh, a number of dice depending on what the interception table you, uh, tells you you need to roll. And then, uh, based on your success, uh, that, a certain number of your task forces will then go to the hex. Oh, I see. Okay. That you're intercepting. So it's not literally in one hex, but the action happens in one hex. Right. Basically what happens is the, uh, because you, you're rolling a number of dice and you want to be able to roll, uh, uh, you have to roll over the number of hexes that you have to intercept to. Um, you want to try to do it as close as possible. So it makes sense for the Americans to intercept when the Japanese actually reach midway. Because it's only like nine hexes from uh, Pearl Harbor or eight, which means they have to beat like an eighteen or a sixteen to uh, intercept successfully. Hmm. Yeah, and so there was a lot of fighting. And so then basically all the task forces together, and then you pull out the naval combat sheets and you run this big naval combat through six naval combat rounds to figure out what's going to happen. And he surprised me. He did get surprise attacks on the Japanese, but uh, he didn't ever roll uh, a really good surprise result that let him get in unscathed and really smoke the Japanese. But it was close. I think he, he might have sunk a Japanese carrier and damaged another one, but I think he also lost one of his own carriers. Mm-hmm. And then I think he just withdrew. But I still, I think I only won by like one victory point. Wow. So, But again, it's kind of cool. The, the, the interesting thing about a World at War is uh, it's a it's a entire body, but one molecule of that body is a fun game. That's that speaks a lot for it, though. Mm-hmm. Did, so there's no vassal for it. So how are you guys playing it? Well, what's interesting is Mike the Duck 
Is, uh, Jason, you you can call me Jason is, or Mike. He's actually designing a vassal module for it. So he's scripting the Java or whatever. Yeah, or I guess what he has to do for it. So he's sm- I don't, he's smart then. Yeah, uh, I mean, he took the initiative and decided to do it. They have War Planner, which is their basic program that's supposed to do it. But um, I didn't feel like setting up boot camp and all that stuff just to run it. So because hmm. it doesn't work on Mac, so. Uh, uh, but he's going to do a vassal module. Um, he actually has it up, and so I told him I would help him with it, so I actually have to get on it and try it out. Sweet. So that, that would be awesome. Yeah. Because then I wouldn't have to have it set up in my game room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, take, it's taking up like a 5 by 8 foot space in my game room. So. That's huge. So you just leave it set up and tinker with it as you as you see fit. Yeah, I'm gradually going... I'm, I'm still uh, in... I'm still in fall 1939, heading towards winter 1939. Wow. Are you gonna, do you think you'll get through it? Yeah, I mean, I just finished, I basically just finished the entire fall 1939 turn, so now I'm, I'm in the winter, and, uh, I'm just kind of at a loss to what to do, so I kind of have to read through the rules a bunch of times and figure out. I realize I can invade Norway, uh, navally because it's the winter, so that kind of screws up my plan there. Um, so I don't really know what I want to do. I was going to try to invade Denmark. I think maybe in the spring I'll invade Denmark and Norway. And, uh, then Norway, Bergen and Norway gives me a safe port to raid from with my commerce raiders. So, that's yeah, just weird stuff. You, you, you have to really play the game to understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, can, <laughs> I can tell. You have to be in the club. And read the novel of a, of a rule book. Yeah. Basically, I mean, it gives you the same choices that the, the nations have. So it seems like it, yeah. And and then some, because, you know, you're not actually having to deal with the repercussions. Right, and in winter 39, uh, the Soviets are probably going to start a winter war with the Finnish, so. You might as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. They do need more land. And then my final game played was a victory lost. Oh, you and Marshall finished that up. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone remembers from the past episodes, but Marshall was pretty convinced that he was winning. <laughs> Marshall's always convinced that he's winning. Yeah, and it, you know he was convinced to such an extent that I was like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm missing some something. Aspect, maybe there's some aspect of the game that I'm not getting because I really felt like looking at the reinforcements that were coming in for me that uh, the tide had kind of turned, um, and then it turned out, yeah, when I looked at the sudden death conditions, uh, it was pretty much crushing victory for the Axis. So. Nice. So Marshall was recalled to the Kremlin <laughs> and summarily executed. Yeah. Rightfully yeah, so. Yeah, it, it, it's a fun game. I think I think some of the problems, I can say this because Marshall's not here to defend himself, uh, <laughs> some of the problems beyond just gross overconfidence on his oh, part yeah. uh, was, was the fact that Marshall risked a lot of his Soviet armor early, where really, and that's the only way for me to get victory points, is by destroying armored units. Like, if I can kill hundreds of Soviet infantry units, I don't get any victory points. Right. And uh, and he didn't always try to kind of cut, it's it's kind of a push and retreat game. You don't really eliminate steps head on, unless you have like a 4 to 1 or a 5 to 1 odds advantage. But where you do get steps is where you can kind of uh, get your zone of control behind the guy, right. and then you have to retreat through. through them. Right. Yeah. So when you retreat the zone of control, he loses a step, and uh, he wasn't doing a lot of that. But also, he rolled terribly. I mean, he was 
It was all ones, twos, and threes, so. That'll put a damper on it. That, that's what he would tell <laughs> It was the dire rolling. We gotta take what we can so, get. But yeah, so I mean that, I don't know, I don't wanna say anything, but that might be the earliest Axis victory in the history of a victory lost, but. Um, it might be. No, no. Marshall, do you have any objections to that? Any rebuttal? Crickets. Okay, so there we go. Yeah. <laughs> And he'll never listen to this, so there won't even be a rebuttal online. <laughs> he, won't he won't listen. I should I should work on my martial imitation. Just come on. Nice. But he did give up. He surrendered. Yeah. Speaking of which, I surrendered in my uh, King Philip's War game with uh, with Ray. He he played a good game. So in that game, the Native Americans. Oh, I said. What did I say? I said Roy, right? Is it Ralph, right? No, it's Barry. Which, which guy are you talking Barry about? Barry Roy. Okay. I said Roy. Um, okay. In that game, the Native Americans have to recruit, but they can only recruit when a certain number of villages of that uh, tribe have been raised by the English. And so he just didn't raise any villages. He just attacked my troops. And so I could never bring new guys on. And I lasted about five turns and just like, yeah, I'm, I have like six guys on the table. He had probably 20. Now looking back, do you think there was something you could have done differently? I don't, I don't know. And it's one of those. Well, that doesn't sound like a very fun game. Uh, it is. It's, but it's, it's a, it's one of those more fun games than simulation games. Cause it's very chaotic. The die rolls, um, if you roll doubles on your combat dice, combat doesn't happen. Um, and there's event, an event die that goes along with it. So every combat, something crazy is happening. Um, so it's, it's a little bit chaotic. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of saying something politically in the game. Uh, but it's also just kind of, I think, trying to be a light, fun treatment of this kind of, <laughs> kind of horrific conflict that happened. What, and, and King Philip's War, what what is that commonly known as? Uh, King Philip's War. It's it's the Pilgrims against the Native Americans around Plymouth. Um, oh, wow. like two years after two year no, it's a generation after they landed at, at Plymouth Rock. <clears throat> so it's uh, and I read a book uh, called Mayflower, kind of about the Pilgrims landing, settling, uh, and then the second half of the book is all about King Philip's War. And the, the game stays pretty true to it in that. You know the politics on the on the Native American side, and kind of the uh, kind of wanton bloodshed from the English. I mean, they got land hungry and and bloodthirsty, and just kind of slaughtered the the natives. And so it's it's the English against the Indians. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's you know a very little known conflict that they put this. Actually, a really fun game too. Kind of, and kind what of what advantages do the Indians have? Uh, they have more mobility. They and so they can move faster and move more troops. They can start more fights. Uh, they can move along the rivers. Uh, and there's a there's an Englishman named Church, uh, who's a real guy, and he he had different ways of thinking about combat, um, kind of more akin to to the natives. So. And an, anal- uh, an, an analogous conflict to it would be the American Revolution, 
where uh, the British are kind of stuck in their in their fighting ways, and the colonists are kind of fighting guerrilla. Mm-hmm. That's what this conflict was. The the English are trying to you know walk into the woods in in line and fight Indians who are then surrounding them and ambushing them. Well, Church said, "Let's use their their tactics against them." And he's sure. represented in this game. Uh, he has to basically get recruited, and it's a die roll. Um, and I think Barry got him on the first turn, which is definitely huge um, because then because that takes away one of your big advantages. Exactly, and then the Indians can or the the English can move like the Indians and can attack like the Indians. Um, it's, it, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, but if you're ve- very kind of straightforward, strategic gamer it's it can be frustrating because die rolls you need this combat to happen it's you're going to slaughter the other side because it's you know three to zero strength and you roll doubles and no combat happens and then he can bring reinforcements in next turn and and fight back right so you could bring a lot of resources to bear and get no results exactly yep and then wasting those from going somewhere else but again I, i i think it's pretty to use a Euro term, pretty thematic, um, but also it, it it makes it fun, and especially in person, you get those stand up die roll kind of kind of situations where you're really counting on something and it doesn't happen. That big build up and let down. So the the uh, the action sequences are based on what chip pulls, card draws, what? No, it's it's Indians move in combat, uh, then English move in combat. It's, so it's phased. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, we have to get our term. We, we we're gonna have to develop all our terminology. <laughs> yeah, we can set the so set the standard. It's phases like I go, you go type thing. Right. Yeah. Or like in, movement in combat, levels. movement combat. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that, it was a lot of fun, uh, but he definitely trounced me. Any others that I've played? Let's see. I've played. Um, finished my distant plane game with. Uh, Terry Simo and Nathan Lee and uh, Joel Eddy. Uh, Nathan pulled out a victory as the Warlords. Uh, I came in second as the Taliban. I I was really, really close to having it. Uh, I've played uh, Lock and Load, Forgotten Heroes quite a bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is that the Vietnam one? Yeah. Yeah, and I actually, while I was waiting for you to get on, recorded like a 15-minute thing on it that I'll just post later. I thought I thought Marshall was going to be on, so I figured I'd talk about that with him. Not lock and load, the graphics are shit. It's the worst game ever. That's a pretty good impression. It's terrible. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's funny. And then, uh, so last week I went to Austin for a business trip and brought along a little eight and a half by eleven game called Vietnam Solitaire. Uh, So this is a game that has been out for a while in print and play. You go to Wargame Downloads, pay five bucks, and you get the files. But then you have to print it, and you have to mount it and cut it. And I, I usually don't mind doing that. Uh, this was a game I was interested in when it was like that. I tend not to pay for print and play games. I, there's plenty of free ones that I haven't built yet that I would like to play. Um, but White Dog Publishing, or White Dog Games, um, just put out a special edition of it. And again, like uh, Last Frontier, it's the th- thick kind of wooden counters that are laser cut, uh, up 
kind of upgraded graphics on the on the map. It's just an 11 by 17 map, uh, kind of half sheet of counters. Pretty straightforward rules, but it comes with uh, the original rules. Comes with a historic scenario based on those original rules, and then it comes with uh, special edition rules, and um, and then an Easter offensive scenario that seems like completely different rules. So when when they do these wooden uh, pieces, is it like an adhesive sticker on the? Is like a wooden block kind of? Uh, no, it's. Let me grab one. So it's like um, it's not wood really. It's I don't know how you would describe it. It's well, I guess it's like MDF. I mean, it's like what you'd make a countertop out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just white on both sides, and then they just print directly on it. So it's just laser printed. Oh, so there's no paper. No, it's not a sticker. It's it's printed right on them, and then they just use a laser cutter and cut them out. God, I didn't know they did that. Yeah, and they're the components are beautiful. I mean, these are that's cool. Yeah, they're. The, the map's a little abstract, um, so it's it's interesting. I'm playing the special edition rules right now after playing the original rules four times. Uh, the original rules, the conceit of them is the U.S. lost the war. The, U- the U.S. could not have won the war. Uh, you're going to lose the game, but how long can you last kind of thing. And it's more of a political game. Where now the the special edition rules are more military. You get in, in in the original rules. There's political points that are negative against you. So you you get them for bringing troops in. You get them for losing troops in combat. You get them for bombing Hanoi. You get them from sending uh, green berets into raid the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So it really confines everything you're doing. It's very uh, tightrope. You know, in, in what you have to do versus what you, you know, can do, and it's all gonna hurt you. Which I, I think to me, I like those interesting kind of political statements in games. I tend not- You, you, you don't feel railroaded by that? I, I do a little bit, but that's what the game is presenting, and it's very, uh, it's very apparent, and they're right up front that this is what's going to happen, and this is the situation we're presenting you with. Uh, I'm not overly political myself, but I like games that say something like that. Mm-hmm. And I could see a lot of people not liking that. Um, but the special edition rules are more military. You get political points every turn that you can spend to bring troops on, but combat doesn't hurt you. Um, bombing, you have to pay for it, bombing uh, or pay with them to bomb Hanoi and bomb the, the trail. But if you lose uh, Arvin in combat, it's not going to count against you. Which makes it feel better. Um, and it's, it's, it's a more tactical military game as opposed so to. It, so it's, it's like basically a more hawkish version. Very, very much so. Yeah. And they're both valid games in their own right. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely, definitely enjoying them. And again, it's, it's an eight and a half by 11 baggie that I can stick in my, backpack and, and take on the plane with me. No, that's cool. I think I think for me, my reason for playing is I want to change history. Yeah. So I don't like games that are scripting me a little bit, trying to teach me a lesson of why mm-hmm. one side lost as opposed to the other side. Yeah. But I, I mean, I understand the advantage of both, mm-hmm. both philosophies. Yeah. Uh, so it's a cool little game, and I think it, 
it was, I don't know, 20 or $30. So de- de- definitely worth it. That's cool. Hey, uh, why don't we take a break? Uh, that would, that break? sounds wonderful. And I'll go get a glass of wine. Okay. All right. Let me pause this somehow. Yeah, I'll just look. Oh, here we go. All right. You're back there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not having Marshall's making me drink less. I can't sneak. Oh, really? I, well, I can't sneak off and go grab another beer. That's true. That's true. You actually have to be <laughs> Um, I played Eclipse, which was fun. Uh, I don't know that it's a war game, though. As a 4X space game, it's, it's, I've played three. I've played, uh, Twilight Imperium 3. I've played Space Empires 4X, the GMT game. And now right. Eclipse. And I think Eclipse is definitely my favorite by far. Well, one of the X's is Conquest. Mm-hmm. So. It's, well, one of them is Extermination. Oh, it's Exterminate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I actually won by not fighting. Which was interesting. <clears throat> so what did you like? You turtled and developed your economy? No, I spread out. Yeah, well, I didn't turtle. I spread out into the middle and kind of built a defensive wall, and then yeah, built up my economy behind my wall. And one guy kind of turtled around his headquarters or base, whatever, whatever the game calls it, and then sent a huge fleet out on the last turn. And he, we tied for points, but I had more resources at the end. So one on the tiebreaker. It's a fun game. I don't. I don't really want to talk much about it, but thought I'd mention it. Yeah, the problem with I've had with I've, I've done Twilight Imperium mm-hmm. quite a bit, and the problem with most of those games is uh, the first people to get involved in wars usually lose. Yeah, yeah. When I played Twilight Imperium, I was the first one to attack, and I came in last place. Yeah, and I don't like the tech tree in TI three. Oh really? Yeah, the it's too complicated. In Eclipse, you pretty much can build whatever you want. There's no, it's not a tree; it's a tech line. Yeah, I like I like Twilight Imperium. Any any uh, game where you could uh, vote in the Senate to have your uh, your opponent decapitated, <laughs> yeah, is always cool. I like the political <laughs> aspect of it. But. Before we talk about your big big box game, I did want to mention talking about uh, Vietnam Solo. I, I've been posting about it a little bit. I've been putting my videos for it on a geek list I found called Solitaire Games on Your Table. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's a podcast called The One Player Podcast, and he focuses on, uh, well, it's obviously one player games, but it's kind of a mix between conflict games and Euros. It's a little bit of everything. If it's one player, uh, the guy Albert will play it. Uh, so he started this geek list every month. And I don't know how long it's been going on, but <clears throat> it like rotates whoever starts it and maintains it. Uh, but I found it this month or last month and then just decided to post on it this month. Um, but it's, it's a pretty cool active geek list. A lot of, uh, you know, community revolving around it. And you, you and I both like that community aspect of, you know, people doing interesting things. Sure. Um, so I, I did want to give a shout out to that. It's solitaire games on your table. And uh, speaking of uh, community stuff, I just wanted to also mention uh, Keith's blog, Everyday Gamer, mm-hmm. on BGG. Uh, Keith wrote one of the best posts I've seen on BGG in a long time. His uh, zombie fiction review of uh, <laughs> Mark Walker's 
uh, zombie fiction writings. That was good. Very brilliant. Yeah. So Keith, Keith has a, uh, a blog on BGG where he basically has committed himself to, to posting almost every single day. Yeah. And they're always like thoughtful posts. He's the guy yeah. I, I mentioned last time and you guys said, Oh, what's the name of the blog? I don't fucking know. Keith is either an insomniac or he has an incredibly long commute to work. Because I don't see how he could possibly think of all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's every day. I, yeah. I can't even commit to, yeah, I can't do anything every day. Yeah, if you get a chance, check out Omni Guild. He, he did a great, uh, really great piece, a little small couple paragraphs on the <laughs> review. So. The jury's out on whether he actually read more than the uh, the free page, the more look than... inside on Amazon. But somebody else did one too, right? Or did they just carry on with it? No, I don't think. Oh yeah, yeah, that was just more nonsense that we just kind of pig piggybacked oh, on with heads. Jeff. Yeah. So, uh, so I wanted to talk about Stonewall Jackson's Way Two. Okay. A quick review of a game. Uh, I was not familiar with this series at all. It's the uh, Great Great Campaigns of the Civil War series by GMT. This is the second version of it. I believe this might have been the first one in the series that was made, and they basically redone it. Uh, $56.99 on a popular online retailer. It's brigade scale. It's got a gorgeous map, really nice counters. It actually comes with two games. Uh, this This... This game is is for the first bull run period of the Civil War, and then the second bull run period of the Civil War. Okay. The first section is called All Green Alike, and then the actual Stonewall Jackson's Way is for second bull run. The only downside is for some of the All Green Alike scenarios, you're going to need uh, a map from another one of the games in the series. It was called Here Come the Rebels. Oh, wow. So if you don't have a map, you can't play all the All Green Alike scenarios, but... I, there's a couple of them that you can do. Uh, you know, I have you played any of the games in this series, Jason? No. Yeah, I I, I have to say it's got a really cool. Uh, it, it's operational, so basically it, it's all about marching and trying. Is, to, a lot of is this the one where you have to write your orders down for your opponent? Is this the one where you have to write your orders down? No. Okay. No. That's annoying. I don't know if I like those games. Yeah, I think maybe that's why I haven't explored this, because I thought that's what it was. No, with with this game, the way it works is very simple. Um, you have initiative, you roll a d6 versus a d6. Okay. And generally, the winner goes gets the initiative, and the ties go to the rebels. Okay. So when you get the initiative, you can then activate your guys. And if you activate a leader, he can activate... Uh, a certain number, maybe two, three, or four units within his command radius, and they can they can then uh, march or do other things. Um, when you march, you never know how far your guys are going to march. You have to roll a die. <laughs> so if I, the the alternative is you can roll a unit by itself, and and the, the the Confederates tend to march a little bit further than the Union does. So is that but, simulating weather or is that simulating command? Well, it's simulating the fact that. You could never really tell. You had maps, and you kind of had an idea of where everything was. You had commanders who were, didn't want to cooperate, sub-commanders. Or inept. Right, so you might say, or guys were just slow. Yeah, they were slow getting on the road or congestion. 
So uh, you might roll a six for a unit, and then it trucks down the road. But then you might roll a two. But the cool thing about the game is you then roll for initiative again, and the same side can get the initiative over and over again. Oh, wow. So conceivably, the union could win the initiative five or six times in a row. Yeah. And be able to completely march around the flank of its opponent before the Confederates can do anything. The So it's kind of cool. You can have multiple activations. The, 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 the control on it is fatigue. Each time you march your guys, they gain a fatigue. Once you get to three fatigues, uh, when you roll for marching, you actually have to roll to see if they get disorganized. So they, they start to have like stragglers. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So the further you push your troops, the less effective they are when they get there. Hmm. So as a union player, you could conceivably move a, uh, a brigade or division three or four times in a row, but by the time they get there, they're fatigue four and they're like exhausted. The most they can be is fatigue four. But what happens is it also carries over to the, the next turn. So at the end of the turn, during recovery, you regain your fatigue back. But if you were like at something like fatigue three or fatigue four, you be, you flip the commander, the the unit over to the its exhausted side, and then it, on this in the next turn, it's less likely to be able to do those types of long marches without losing troops. So the effects of constantly marching you guys. Will will come back to haunt you in later turns unless you give them a chance to rest. Nice. Yeah, so it's a very and they, they can also get fatigued from fighting and stuff like that. But I thought it was very cool that you could just activate a unit a bunch of times, but you're constantly like, ooh, do I want to risk moving this unit one more? And then I might they might like if you have a unit that's maybe a five strength points, if you roll a disorganized result on the uh, the extended march table because they're fatigued, you have to then flip their strength to a three. So it's like they're waiting for stragglers to catch up. Right. So they've lost a lot of their combat strength, trailing behind them on the road. If you get if you get attacked before you're able to do that, then you're going to fight at a reduced strength. So it's kind of a cool system. The uh, the the other thing is that you know there's a road net, so you really you really want to use the road net because like to move on a road costs one, to move into a clear hex costs three. So right. you're rolling a D6 for movement. So rarely will you so want to... You have to stay on the road. Yeah, I mean, like, you really almost have to stay on the road in that, which is, again, realistic. I mean, units weren't going to be going yeah. across country a whole lot. Yeah. So yeah. When, when you're rolling for initiative and, and then you roll again, does the other player get, an, get a movement in between, or is no. it... Wow. It's head-to-head every time. So if you get initiative, you get to move. The other player doesn't get to respond. You roll again immediately. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you, but in the, like I said, the Confederates do an advantage because they can. Uh, they they win ties. They win ties. But there's some uh, scenarios, some modules in the game. Not this one, but like with Bragg. Uh, I think it's for a Battle Above the Clouds. Braxton? You have certain leaders that are insubordinate. So when you roll certain doubles, those <laughs> leaders like won't listen to them. And That's they're awesome. red. They're marked in red. Because like all the all the, Bragg's problem was he was an asshole. All the subcommanders hated him. Right. He was basically an asshole in charge of a bunch of assholes. You know. So, uh, so that's kind of a cool. They have, they have some cool rules like that. The the other neat thing is 
So you're kind of marching. You, most of the attacks you're going to do are called attacks on the march. So you can march into a zone of control of a unit, and you normally have to stop unless you decide, I'm going to attack that guy right okay. now. Mm-hmm. And it costs you movement points to do that attack. And you have choices. The more movement points you spend, the better the attack is. So column of route is like zero. Mm-hmm. It basically means your guys right off the road are just trying to attack, but you're like a minus two on the, in the combat table. But if you spend like three or something, three, maybe four movement points for a prepared attack, you're a plus one or plus two on the attack. That's cool. So your choices are column of route, hasty, normal, and prepared. Um, the other things that come into play are uh, road networks can be hexes can become congested. So if there's more, say I activate a core and I'm going to move, or I'm, I'm say I activate a division and I move a brigade, and then I want to move another brigade along behind it from that same division. Um, if I want to move into the hex where the guys already are and they have more than three strength points, I have to pay an extra movement point to go in there. Mm-hmm. So you can... tend to have uh, commands that are strung out along the roads because of the road congestion. The uh, the other things you can do is you can do assaults. There are, like, big attacks you can do that aren't just attacks off the march. It's called an assault. If the leader's in a hex with a bunch of his units, he can say, these units are all going to assault this adjacent hex, but that's their whole move. It's basically he's planning a big attack. Mm-hmm. And you roll a d6, and you subtract the, the result from his command rating, and that's the number of units that participate in the attack. So you might have a, a hex where you've got three or four units, and you're like, oh, I'm going to gang up these four units on his one unit. Right. But only and one gets the attack five. order. Say you're a command five. You roll a four, only one of the units actually attacks. Right. So suddenly you had where you thought you were going to have a four-to-one advantage, you have a one-to-one advantage. Right. And you lose casualties. Of course. And that happened all the time, where, you know, commanders would plan an attack, and some guys were late or wouldn't show up, or they couldn't coordinate it. Yeah, they slept in. Yeah, and so then there's grand assaults too, which are, are assaults where multiple hexes can attack a hex. And that has to be run by a commander in chief. Uh, when you do the combats, uh, there's a comparison between tactical leadership. So maybe Jackson's a better leader than, than, uh, one of the union commanders, Sherman or whoever. And so you get an advantage there. Artillery comes into play. Different units add all their artillery values in. But then it's also reduced by the terrain in the defending hex. So you might have a big artillery advantage as the attacker, but if you're attacking a woods hex, it yes. doesn't help you as much because mm-hmm. you can't bring your artillery to bear. Uh, and the, another cool thing is the combat tables, the casualties you suffer are based on the size of your force. That so makes sense. If I attack your three guys with my 12, <laughs> I'm more likely to take a casualty. Because you're congested. And right, that for the result... I mean, obviously, I get a big plus. I get like a plus three because I had number four to one, so that improves my result. But basically, I roll my die. I add my modifiers. You roll your die. Add your modifiers. The difference between the two die rolls is the combat result. Mm-hmm. So if you're a small force, you're more likely to have to retreat rather than lose a strength point. Big big force. If you were a twelve, you probably lose a strength point or two when you retreat. And it's got cavalry retreats, foraging, railroad movement, command paralysis, like I mentioned, insubordinate leaders. Very cool game. I thought it was uh, a really great treatment of that whole kind of uh, 
issue of marching, getting your troops there before the opponent, trying to flank them. Like, I tried to do, like, I just soloing. I tried to flank them with the Confederates, and I ended up getting flanked by the Union because they, they stole the initiative away, and I just thought it was really great. So with those assault moves and, and stuff, is there a lot of close-in fighting, or you're marching, trying to get trying to get the ground? No, then... the thing with assault is you can't move at all. So you have to be adjacent to the right. But that, that's what I mean. So is there a lot of adjacency, or are you doing more of the march attacks? Well, the interesting thing is you get benefits from uh, having other friendly units. You know, uh, a, a defender has a six hexes around them. The more zones of control you have on around that defender, the more bonuses you get for flanking. Even if the one of the units you're using to get a flanking advantage is not involved in the attack. Hmm. So, for example, if I had if I was attacking from the northeast, and I had one little unit or one one brigade on the uh, southwest corner, southwest hex of the defender, I would get a, a big benefit because I'm kind of pinning them between the two forces, even though my one force is not involved. My southwest guy's not involved. The Northeast guys take advantage of the fact that the Southwest guy has some kind of control over that side. Hmm. So, like, normally if you're going to do an assault, what you'd do is you march your guys up, then you would hope to win initiative, give, right, so and then assault can... from that position. Yep. But again, you never know if you're going to win it. That's cool. Yeah, Seems pretty true. realistic. Yeah. Um, is it is it super in-depth with the rules, or is it pretty easy to get into? Well, I played the basic rules. I think they're fun. Uh... I haven't done too many of the advanced rules. Uh, I played Scenario 3, which is kind of like a, a modified first bull run scenario. But I, I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm very excited because it's a series. So, like I said, Battle Above the Clouds is another one in there. And I tend to buy series games. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of know it, and I Make like, it worth comfortable. learning all the rules. Yeah, once I, I... I only have so much capacity to learn rules. <laughs> but you're learning a lot of big rules. Yeah, but these rules, these, this game's really not that bad, I didn't think. I didn't think it was too complicated. <laughs> so I was excited. It's very very popular. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of games in it, so um, I'm, I think it's cool. So I'm very into it. So, that looks cool. So that's that one. How about you? Any, any reviews? Uh, no, I guess I've talked really about everything that I've played. Um, the... Vietnam Solitary would be closest I would come to a review this this episode. I, so I I fired somebody yesterday for the first time. That was employee. Yeah, that was interesting. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that happen? Uh, he outside of some other things that for legal reasons I can't talk about. Um, he's been late thirteen times in November. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's about half the yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. So well, those he, are work days. He, yeah, work days. That's even worse. Yeah. So he got written up back in uh, April, and got better for a little bit, uh, and then last month he was late once each week, and then this month. I mean, and what did it for me is when I was out of town uh, last week and the week before that. If he thinks I'm in the office, he'll text me and say, "Hey, I'm going to be late." Well, he he didn't, and then came in late. 
so then th- then you're just lying to me and I can't have that. I'm gone too much to be able to let that happen. Well, now, was he late because he had a World at War set up and he would get caught up on it every morning? No, he was late because he was getting drunk every night and not going to sleep. Right. Yeah. So like, we, how, how late are we talking? Well, I mean, sometimes two hours. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes 15 minutes, but 15 minutes, uh, three days in a row, and then two hours, and then 90 minutes. That's too much, you know. And I, I give a nice five minute window, a nice 15 minute window for most people. But if that 15 min- minute window happens every day, and it's never 15 to the good, it's always 15 to the bad. Uh, you know, and there's some other stuff on top of it, but the, uh, the reason that we documented was that. It was ridiculous. And he's, I'm, he's 28, 29, I guess. I mean, he's a grown What percentage of your workforce is this guy? Grown ass man. Uh, so I had five employees and now I have four. (laughs) Whatever that is. 20%. Is he gonna be missed? No. No. (laughs) No. No, and I actually have some guys that I'm going to promote up um, and take his place, and it's going to be much better. Yeah, the office was nice and peaceful today. There wasn't the... Because uh, it just... The other people see it, and they're there every day on time. You know, and they see they see this kind of crap going on. So it made a more peaceful environment today. Did he take it like a man? He did. He did. And he, he kind of owned it and owned the other stuff. Um which which was nice and and texted me after and you know kind of said nice working with you and you know no hard feelings but good riddance kind of thing. Was he stressing out? Or were you rather were you stressed out about it like coming up to it? Yeah. Oh, for sure. That shit's stressful. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't ask to be in this position. They kind of shoved me into it. I just want to go to work and work. They gave me a bunch of people to manage. Uh and I luckily I got to hire all of them except one person. Um, so I got to pick the people and I've had probably five or six people quit over the last two years, which is fine. And it's usually people who I kind of, what HR calls managed out, you know, I kind of rode them a little bit and yeah, rode them no, up. We're, and, talking, we're talking about theoretical people. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. All hypothetical. All hypothetical. <laughs> and that's much, that's much easier than. You know, having to do the real deal. Yeah, it sucks to be the boss, man. Yeah. Yeah, but I was, you know, it it was stressing me out. Even just, like, is, is he going to be in on time? You know, because I don't, I'm not an asshole, or I tend not to be an asshole. Right. And so, you know, if I have to be an asshole, it kind of rubs up against me wrong. <clears throat> and I, I notice it, and then... Well, yeah, you kind of end up resenting the guy for making you be a dick. Right. Like, I just come to fucking work on time, and everything yeah, and will be fine. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, that's hard. I, like, I'm a supervisor also, but it was like, uh, you know, when I was an employee, I was very easy to manage. Oh, so for it's sure. hard to understand people who are difficult to manage. Yeah. But. And, and it's not super easy to find a job right now. Just, you know, come to fucking work. Yeah. Not everyone has that mentality, though, apparently. Does he get us, like, a severance package, or is that confidential? Uh, I guess it's confidential, but no. Okay, <laughs> some, some of this conversation might be deleted. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm, I don't think my last name's out here anywhere. 
Well, let's see. We have some new guild members. We do. Did you, did you, I, I went through them. I didn't know if you were going to do the roster call of our guild members. I'll go for it. We have, uh, we have 102 members, but I might only have the last 101. Uh, Eric, Michael, Jack Dempsey, Steve Smith, Dan, John Allgood, Senor Cruz, <laughs> maybe Cruiser, we haven't decided. I, I like Cruiser. Cruiser! Fast cars. That's badass, man. I like fast cars. James, Edward, Nick, Ben, Brian, Ross, Harry, Dave, and crazy enough, Lucas. Lucas? I was like, Lucas, I was, I was talking to, I was, I said, Lucas, are you not a member of the guild? I guess he's never gotten around to joining. Oh, come on. So, I mean, the guy's been posting for like months, but it's officially in. Huh. Um, I, I, I posted this on the guild, but I'll just mention on the podcast, dude. I played, uh, Descent with my children. Yeah, I want to hear about this. Um, you know, I, I played Descent. I bought it a while back and I thought, you know, Descent is kind of, uh, it actually is more of a war game than a role playing game. Cause really there's no role playing. It's, it's kind of a tactical right. game where you just move the figures around and you fight the, the monster figures. It's almost it's, like Space Hulk, right? I mean, it's, yeah, you have victory objectives, you set up the map. Yeah, there's like the pieces, it's a lot like Space Hulk, right? And you have characters and, uh, archetypes. It's kind of cool. They comes with, uh, eight characters and each character is a card, so they have their own, like, like health and movement and stamina and defense. Uh, but they each fit two of, how should I say this? Out of the eight, there's four archetypes. So there's like warrior, maybe religious, spellcaster, and sneaky guy. That would maybe be the archetypes. And then each archetype has two classes. Associated. So it's it's not fighter, cleric. Right, it could be fighter. Yeah, we could say fighter. So the fighter type uh, could be a barbarian or a knight. Okay. And there's cards that go with those. Um, the the priest type could be a spirit speaker or a disciple, which is like a traditional cleric. Hmm. The wizard could be a wizard type guy, or he could be a, a witch doctor who has like a skeletal construct that she can use to attack people. The the sneaky type guy could be either a uh, I guess it's a scout maybe could either be like a ranger type or a thief. Okay. So oh I see so it's okay. So it's not the class, it's the archetype, I see. Right, so so if you take a pers- certain character and that character is a warrior character, you could choose for that character to be a barbarian or a knight. Mm-hmm. And then based on what you choose, there's a little set of cards, and a couple of cards start, they start with, like, equipment, and they usually have one ability. Uh, like, for example, the knight gets a shield, a sword, and uh, the ability to, like, come to the aid of one of his, his friend, friendly allies. And then as you uh, gain experience, the other cards cost experience points. Okay. You can get a shot for abilities. So um, I had played it, and the idea of the game is that a couple players play the, the heroes, and then uh, one player plays the overlord, who's the baddie. So he runs all the bad characters, all the monsters. And I played it with my friends, and it wasn't a lot of fun. It was not? No, because the overlord role was not that... I just didn't really enjoy it, like... Uh, like, I don't know, if I won, like, if they won, that was great, but it wasn't that much fun watching them beat me. And then if I won, that wasn't really fun. 
because then the good guys lost. Yeah, everyone else has a terrible time with it. So I played it, yeah, it was kind of like you were kind of like, like I was never maybe a guy who could be like a dungeon master, you know, run a dungeon yeah. with people. I wanted to be a player. Did, did you play role-playing games? I did play role-playing games when I was young, like when I was a teenager. What did you play um, as? Huh? What did you play as? You know, like what my character was? Yeah. I would, <laughs> let me think what I would be. I was usually a fighter. Fighter, yeah. yeah. Hu- human? Human fighter? Half-orc, probably. Half-orc, nice, I like it. Go for the maxed out stats. I like it. Screw the charisma, go for the strength constitution. <laughs> I was always a dwarven, uh, I would dual class, uh, cleric and fighter. Yeah, that's cool. I think maybe I would be a cleric sometimes. So, yeah, so I, but I didn't really get, I, like, I did it about up until high school and then, uh, I stopped when sports and girls. Oh, I said, I, that's funny, cause I didn't play in high school, cause, well, <laughs> I didn't have that many friends, but I played in, uh, in the army. I started playing in basic training. Okay. We had a we had a guy who was a DM. He's like, oh, we need to we need to get this started, uh, and then played played a little bit through through then, and then even a little bit into active duty. Yeah, I didn't really do much uh, role playing as as an adult. I think you know once I got in the army and I was doing my different careers, I didn't like appeal to me as much. Like, I, I think I, I tried one time, like, I've always tried to go back and do it, and I think I had a friend once, and uh, we went to some some thing, we were like, ah, whatever, we'll try it, and we sat down, and uh, they wanted you to act out the parts. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no. You'd be like, well, I'm going to go over, and I'm going to talk to the guy about the mission. And they were like, no, no, say it how you would say it. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> fucking doing that. Like, you know, that. Act out the role. I'm like, no, dude, I'm telling you, I'm just going to go. Like, I'm not into acting it out. Yeah. So you just want to get there and fight. Right, for me it was always kind of a tactical thing. Mm-hmm. So Descent is kind of cool because there's no role playing. It's basically just the the combat. Right. You're fighting against the monsters, and and so when I when I played with my friends, I kind of played it. It looked cool, but I didn't enjoy it. So my my daughters uh, have played a bunch of different. We played the dungeon game and a bunch of other stuff. And so I got it out this past weekend. I said, oh, let me see if they like it. And they like the pieces right away. Do you have the miniatures painted? No, I don't. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm not into painting miniatures anymore. I, I would have thought it would have been painted before. So I won't ask you to paint my Earth Reborn then. <laughs> yeah, I'm like so down on painting miniatures right now. It's not even funny. Nice. I haven't even unpacked it. My, my dad mailed me back my Guilford Courthouse uh Stuff I mean, I'm unpacked them out of the boxes yet. Just done with it. I'm just so over it. It's really strange, but that is strange. But yeah, so the girls, my uh, my five year old played uh, the knight, and my uh, seven year old played the priestess, and uh, they then they have to play girls always. They don't want any boys. Yeah, I was gonna ask if if there are female characters for them to play as. You know, I would say they're sexually ambiguous characters. Um, even the dwarf, I told him, well, dwarven women had beards. Or exactly. Could be a woman. Uh, and, and they had a total blast. It was actually a lot of fun playing with them because I found that, that their, most of their squabbling is between each other. 
<laughs> over who gets to do what, or there's some crying, but they get really excited, and it was funny, like, when my youngest would roll the dice, and she'd be like, I rolled free shields! I'm like, good job, free shields! <laughs> you know, she's so little. Uh, but they can count, I mean, they can, they're playing, they know, they know kind of what they can do, and my, my oldest is a really good reader, so she, um, we were at the mall, and she actually asked for the rule book, I gave her the rule book, and she read the rule book while she was in the car. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she's, on she got into it. That's cool. Though her character is very good at stunning people, and she kept saying she was tired of stunting everyone. Like she wanted to stun, like it's called stunning, not stunting anybody. It's, but uh, they they fought a little bit over uh, who would get treasure and who would get this. But they did. What what I found was, as the overlord, I could kind of force them to work together mm-hmm. by by moving the monsters and. So it was, it was much more enjoyable experience for me playing with my kids as opposed to playing with grown-ups also because the kids don't really argue the semantics of the rule. They yeah. argue more the reality of how it should happen. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what it should be, really. Yeah, I mean, the adults will argue with you about what a word in the rule means, but my kids don't care what the rules are. They just, if they don't think something's fair, they'll make an argument. Right. It, it doesn't seem realistic. But, like, you play a hero escape with your boy. Uh-huh. So how does that go? I, uh, really well. It, and that's, like, have you played it? I've seen it, I've seen it quite a bit. I'm not familiar with how the game goes. So the, the, the terrain is like Lego. Right. And so it all fits together, uh, and then it's all characters through time and space kind of thing. So there's, you know, like samurai and aliens and like these zombie kind of creatures. And it, the pieces just live in his room. So, and he plays with Lego constantly, so he'll get a bug up his ass and bust out the HeroScape pieces and just build this epic, I should post some pictures, I took some pictures of the last one he did. He, now, he has the rules down, he knows the rules? Yeah, he knows exactly how to play. And how old is he? Uh, seven. Oh, good. Okay, good. Yeah. And and we've been playing for, I guess, two years now. Um, so at first, you know, I had to coach him through it, but now he just builds it, he sets it up, um... And kind of picks his guys and lets me then come pick my guys. And I'll kind of tweak the terrain a little bit because he likes to build huge castles. And then he puts all of his guys up at the top of the castle. (laughs) And and I tell him, okay, that's fine, but the game's not going to work this way. Because (laughs) it's going to take you 27 turns to get down from the top of your castle. And I'm just, by that time, I'm going to have you surrounded. And it's not going to be any fun. And that's kind of what happened the last time. He put all his guys up high and I kind of told him, okay, but bring some of them down to defend and get your archers down here. And he did it a little bit, but I uh, <laughs> I killed his archers and then just surrounded him and knocked down his castle door and invaded. Um, but yeah, he knows exactly how to play. Uh, he knows he's not a great reader um, at seven. He's kind of just getting into it. Right. So, But he knows... He knows how to read attack and defense and movement and that kind of thing, but he, he likes to just get the forces together and, and well, clash. The, the cool thing about descent is uh, it's all symbols. Oh, that's cool. So if the kid can count to three, uh, they can figure it out pretty much. You know, I mean, uh, you know, the older one will help the younger one. But yeah, basically, I force them to work together. If one is being a brat. Or kind of leaving the other one. Like at one point, the older one left the younger one fighting the dragon so she could try to go get something. And I just started putting like pit traps and all sorts of stuff. 
So she kept falling into traps mm-hmm. and so I kind of forced them to work together. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great game. I think it's, and there's a huge campaign that comes with the game that you can play. Uh, so, and then they have a ton of expansions. The kids love the components. And I and think it's like 35 bucks or something or 40 bucks. You're playing with the first edition? I have second edition. Oh, wow. Second yeah. edition's really nice. And, nice. uh, and like I said, they, they got used to kind of, as they get experience points, they can, uh, buy new abilities and, and, and they sell it at Barnes and Noble now. I mean, yeah, it's at Barnes and Noble. I saw it today. It yeah. The, uh, and, and the replayability is tremendous because they have eight characters that can choose from eight different classes. Mm-hmm. So you can mix and match and it makes each of the characters has their own feet and their own personal special ability, but then you can combine that with one of the two classes that they qualify for to give them all sorts of different possibilities. That's awesome. Yeah, so I thought it was great. So it's, it's that's cool just, that they're into it. Yeah, and, and the worst part though was so I'm all excited. Right? And we're gonna play it a bunch over Thanksgiving because I, I I love playing games with the kids. Yeah, and uh, you know my wife watches or listens to them fussing and fighting over. It. But uh, <laughs> then at the end they're like, I'm like that was great, and they're like, then then they wanted to go watch a cartoon and they just immediately ran off to watch a cartoon. Like, I can't compete with a cartoon. They're like, a cartoon? We're out of here. They just ran out. I was like, oh, I thought this was really good. <laughs> they, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they enjoyed it. And they, in fact, they play with it when I'm not around. Like, they'll buy oh, it out on cool. the, the dining room table a little bit. They've been playing with the pieces. But when it came between yeah. playing the game with Dad or watching, like, a Digimon cartoon, oh, they were yeah. out of there. At the end of the day, you're still just Dad. Yeah, it was pretty sad. Oh, but yeah, so I... I thought it was it was very cool because for me that was a game that I spent some money on. I thought it looked cool, and I kind of had not touched it after a disappointing experience with it. And then I found out that kind of playing it with my kids or kids in general was just a lot of fun because you enjoy them succeeding. Right. Yeah. You can kind of teach them lessons a little bit because as the overlord, you have cards you can play and you can move the monsters, and they got the tactics out of it. So it was cool. That's awesome. That's cool. I might have to I might have to get that. My daughter's eleven. And she and her brother do not really hang out or get along. I mean, every once in a while, we'll play, like, Catacombs, which is a kind of dungeon crawl type game, but you're flicking discs. I thought that one looked cool, too, but it's it's not available. Yeah. Yeah, I bought it used. They're saying they're coming out with a new version. I heard there's a Kickstarter coming out or something. Oh, no. It's it's definitely worth it, especially for kids your your kid's age. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you set it up on the table and flick, and kids seem to have better... Flicking abilities than us, than us older guys. No, I thought it looked very cool just for that same reason. But I have to say, I did buy, uh, Mice and Mystics. Uh huh. Mystics and Mice, Mice and Mystics. And... Mice and Mystics, yeah. But now that I've, I've actually put Descent on, I was kind of like, oh, I wish I hadn't bought it. Cause they seem to really like the Descent, so. That's... We might have to work something out, maybe I'll buy it off of you. Cause I've, I've been looking at that too. That's at Barnes and Noble too, by the way. Yeah. I'm gonna have to wait till after Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think my wife might have thought I wanted that game and picked it up. Oh really? Yeah. I told her there I, I want um it's a Euro game, but Trayon or Trajan, which is like a heavy Euro game. Oh, that's at Barnes and Noble? Yeah, yeah. So I told her there's a game at Barnes and Noble I want. And she just okay, I'll stop. I'm like, Well I haven't told you what I want. Do you uh do you do a wish list? Yeah. 
Because I do on Amazon. That's how yeah, I do. I, I do too. Yeah. Because when when I have to buy a present from someone and don't have a wish list, I'm always annoyed. Like, yeah, and then on. you just buy them a gift card and it's kind of lame. Set up the freaking wish list. So I can just, it's like a registry, basically, for your life. For your life, exactly. <laughs> and I have it broken down. Like, if you want to buy me a book, I have 30 books. If you want to buy me a game, here's five or six games. Oh, yeah. And, and I can put on for the, you can, they actually have it now where you can do separate ones for your kids. Oh, nice. Because otherwise I put it in the comments that it's for the kid, but they have a separate wish list you can do for children. That's a good idea. But, yeah, I mean, I'll put notes on there who it's for, but I do the same thing with, because with books, I'm impossible to shop for because I have such eclectic interests for books. Eclectic, and then you buy them so quickly and don't always remember to update and... Right. So it's cool, like when someone mentions a good book, I can be like, oh, I hit Amazon and just put it on my wish list. Yeah. I had a bunch of old, hard sci-fi. Uh, after reading The Forever War, I'm back into hard sci-fi. Nice. I'm going to have to check that book out, actually, yeah, while, while we're here. I'm going to go on Amazon right now and check it out. Let's Should we get paid for Amazon, too? So that's it. I thought this set was cool. That was the family game that we've kind of rediscovered. Uh, we do have Mice and Mystics, and the guys on the guild gave me a lot of great suggestions for games, too. So some of those hit the wish list. But uh turns out, like I said, Descent was the one that was sitting there, and that was very popular. That's good. It, didn't, it doesn't seem like two little girls would be into that, but I guess that's just me being sexist. Well, you know, I've, I've warped my children. Uh, they're, they're into, like, Doctor Who. <laughs> they love Doctor Who. Yeah. They're excited about Doctor Who, stuff like that. I mean... Uh, some young nerd is going to be a very lucky man. Yes, indeed. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> That's my daughter too. She has, you know, her, her room's all nerded out. She, I don't know, somehow being a nerd is cool now. Yeah, their, their mom was a flight attendant and the captain of her cheerleading squad. So the girls are bringing the looks, but I'm contaminating <laughs> them with all the nerd stuff. So. I like it. Yeah, some guy's going to get super lucky. Yeah, when he came to my wife's high school reunion, she was pregnant. Uh, I didn't want to go to my high school reunion, but her high school reunion was local. She was like, yeah, I don't think I want to go. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, you're captain of the cheerleading squad? We are going to your high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, we are absolutely oh. going. And you must be out of your mind. That's I'm dating the captain. Of, I'm married to the captain of the cheerleading squad. Oh, that's funny. So I made her go. She was pregnant. She was pregnant. Like, yeah, I, I, I did that. I'm good time. I'm like, check that along with but the, the oh, upside is good-looking kids, and uh, like I said, they're going to make some nerdy boy out there. Very excellent. I'm not paying any dowries though, so no, no. There you go. Too funny. So yeah. I've got one more game I can talk about. Hit it! I'm I am tapped. It's kind of the big one, but I'm going to go get a little wine. Can we take a break? Sure. Let's pause it. Yeah. yeah so uh, the the next review I want to do is for uh, Battle of Moscow. Or Jason, you want to pronounce it in French? Oh, I don't know what it is. La Bataille de Mascala. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to try to. My French ancestors are horrified by this. Uh, and I'm reviewing the Clash of Arms version, not the Marshall Enterprises version. Because there's some kind of weird history with the series. This is the La Bataille series. Mm-hmm. And some of them are done by Marshall Enterprises. Some of them are done by Clash of Arms. Um, I only mention it because uh, when I was seeing some of the reviews of, uh, of one of the Marshall Enterprises versions, I guess there is some quality differences. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Between the components. So I'm talking about Clash of Arms. And uh, the, 
right away, I'm just going to say I really enjoyed the game. Um, so I'm very happy to again have uh, found another series that's really fun, and also another gaming company because pretty much I've been GMT and MMP. Mm-hmm. So now I'm now that I'm checking out some Clash of Arms products. It's kind of like cool. Their games to, are really expensive. Well, not necessarily if you mm-hmm. go with. Uh, you just have to find the right website to. To find the right online retailer. They did David Doctor's game, right? So this is a big game, so it's not cheap either. But, uh, yeah, so this is the Clash of Arms version. It's Napoleonics. It's a La Batal series. I got it for 89. It's available for 89.99 at, at NWS online. It's really large, uh, four large maps and a lot of counters. Uh, it's Italian scale. So the units are going to be battalions or squadrons. And, and this is, uh, basically Borodino, the Battle of Borodino in the Napoleonic Wars. So you're talking two heavy hitters, kind of a French and French ally army, not at their peak. We're not talking about the French of 1805 or 1807, 1809. We're talking, you know, 1812, but they're going up against, uh, the Russians who are no slouches, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to combat. So. When you talk about Russians, you're thinking a lot of artillery, grenadiers, uh, stalwart infantry, you know, dying place, that kind of stuff. So the the, the counters are battalions. Um, you can use regiments. There are counters for regiments also. So it's similar to Vietnam 65 to 75. Mm-hmm. We can break a brigade down into battalions. The the only odd the only unusual thing about the game is it does do this. Uh, uh, 11 to 66 scale for results. So it's double D6s to double D6s. Wow. So. Oh, I see. Okay. And then one's one color and one's the other and you use them as. Right. Okay. So it's base, it's base six. It's, right? it's a 10 and a, yeah. It's basically a base six system. Um, and, and what it means is, so if it tells you like, plus six or plus three for a modifier. Like if you roll a 21 and your modifier is plus six, your roll is actually a 31. You follow? Wow, yeah. That's so, interesting. Because you would go 31 to 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 41, like that. Huh. So, so it's that takes some getting used to just because yeah. it's base six. Um, the the maps are awesome. They're they're like hand drawn, that kind of hand drawn artistry that I remember from some of the older Napoleonic games I played when I was a kid, and I love how they look. Uh, little villages and little cultivated fields all drawn in. Uh, the counters are kind of designed to reflect the actual uniform colors that the Napoleonic troops wore. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're talking about Russian cuirassiers, they're going to be dressed in white. The counters are white. Uh, if you're talking about French line infantry, they have uh, you know, cuffs and blue with white, white, uh, undercoat. Very cool. Cause you know, the period was one where there was a lot of uniform color. Like the SAR yeah. units had pinks and light blues and, so it's, it's kinda neat that they incorporate that into the counters. White's not a very good combat color. No. Yeah, the British chose red for a reason, right? Yeah. So, uh, the, the rules I'm going to be talking about are the uh, Marie Louise rules, which are kind of the simplest version of them. And for me personally, I think they're fine. Uh, I don't need any more complexity than what they provide. There are more complicated versions, and then there's a lot of house rules. So once there's two that are available online, and uh, I think you can get other versions if you want. But I pl- I'm talking about the Marie Louise version when I talk about this game. 
because I don't need any more complexity than, than this one. <laughs> Basically, the front of the counter tells you how many strength points, they're called increments, and how many movement points, called movement potential, are on, uh, that the unit has, uh, formations that are available. You, this is going to be your typical Napoleonic game. Um, you know, the Napoleonic uh, period was a period where they were evolving from the linear warfare of the Seven Years' War, where everyone fought in line, uh, to columns. There was more, more column usage. Excuse me. <coughs> and one of the reasons was the French troops in the French Revolution weren't uh, experienced soldiers, so they weren't able to have the kind of discipline required to march and fight in line. So the French used columns. They could group them all together, and then with lots of skirmishers in front. That was kind of their fighting technique. And it turned out the columns were very maneuverable, and they were able to outmaneuver the, the Austrian and Prussian lines. So you've got column formations you can form up in. They have good movement, but they're not so good at shooting. You've got line formations that are slow-moving. They cost an extra movement point for every hex, but they're good at shooting. Uh, some units can form in skirmishers, like uh, Jaegers for the Russians, or the light infantry for the French. Uh, infantry units can form into square, which is like an anti-cavalry defensive formation. And then you've got like road column and some other stuff like that. Uh, they've got leader markers, leader counters. They have a variety of characteristics. Uh, some of them are really good at cal- leading cavalry. Some of them are good at helping with artillery fire. Some with infantry. Some just to help with morale. Some can give you an extra command point. So all the leaders are kind of uh, represented on the table. And it's a chip-pull system, which I love. Mm-hmm. My favorite system. And the cool way this, this system works with chip-pulls is if you have a commander, he's got a certain range of guys that are in command of him. So, like, for example, a division commander might have a range of three. Okay? So every unit of his in his division that's within three is is in command. Now, if he has brigade commanders that are within that range, they then push their command range out to two hexes from them. So then they they also uh, can spread their command out. Okay. Follow? Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes to maneuver elements, you can decide, well, this division commander, I want to make him a maneuver element. You put a marker on him, and then you put a matching marker into the chip, or into the uh, chip mug. So when you pull it out, then that commander is activated, and all of his guys under his chain of command and his radius can then maneuver. Okay. So uh, you can even expand it out to a core. A core commander, if the army commander comes and it sits in his hex, can be activated, get a chip, and then his chip will go into the, the cup. And when he comes out, he spreads six X's to his division commanders, and his division commanders can then spread out to his brigade commanders. So one core commander can have a really big spread. And so you're pulling on each side is basically paying. For one command point, you get a certain number of command points. For each command point, you can you can form what's called a maneuver element, which is where you assign one of these leaders, give them a chip, and put it in the mug. But the cool thing is, say if you want a division to move really badly, uh, say Kampan's division, you, you make Kampan a, uh, a maneuver element, put his chit in, and then you make his core commander also a maneuver element, put his chit in. So whether you pull the core commander or the division commander, Kampan's going to be able to move. But he can only move once. So you just, but you're giving him double the chance that you're going to pull chit that he can move on. Right. The other type of guys that can activate people are called aide-de-camps, and they're like staff officers. They can activate people that are in units that are in their hex. 
So you can, if you have a particular group of units that you want to do something, you can run a staff officer over there and have them sit on them and then spend a command point to make that staff officer go lead them off on an independent mission, you know. Some young fop from the courts has been sent by <laughs> to go send them off to guard a bridge or just kind of a neat command system. So you go through, you go through the chits and once you put all your maneuver elements in the cup, that's your chit cup, then you have four extra ones that are always going to be in there. One is artillery. When that chit gets pulled, all the artillery fires on the table. Uh, one is leaders. All leaders move. Then you have reinforcements. That's when reinforcements come on. And then you have regroup. And regroup is when units that aren't in command generally can try to get back closer to their leaders. So you basically spend your maneuver phase pulling chits out of the mug. Once you're done with the maneuver phase, you get into fire. That's just where guys all fire at each other. Uh, artillery has better range. They can fire, depending on their size, to maybe six, nine, or 12 hexes. Infantry generally can only fire one hex out. Uh, skirmishers can sometimes fire two hexes. Let's see. So uh, once everybody fires, then you have the assault team. That's where infantry is going to try to roll, roll to close. So the neat thing about this is you want your infantry to close in and fight with the, the enemy, but you're more likely to be able to do it successfully if they start from further back. If you get them close up where they're going to be kind of uh, more engaged with the enemy, they're less likely to close. So it's kind of like you almost have to get like a running start mm-hmm. to get in there and assault. Then cavalry, there's rules for cavalry. They can charge. They can uh, see if infantry forms square. You can recall them. They can pursue so they do all this. There's reaction, uh, opportunity fire. If you come adjacent to an enemy unit, uh, like an infantry unit or artillery unit, it'll shoot. If you come within four hexes, cavalry comes within four hexes of an infantry unit, you can try to form square, and cavalry can charge up to two hexes in opportunity. So yeah. with that, are units spent? So if you shoot and then somebody comes up to you, can you still opportunity fire? Yes. Okay, wow. But you don't get opportunity fire for them entering your zone of influence. They have to spend movement points in your zone of influence. Okay. So, like, there was an interesting thing when I played Campbell. He had a cab unit that was basically running by my, galloping by my infantry, and I was paranoid, so my infantry were rolling and forming squares. He would roll by, and he's just moving because I'm doing opportunity action. Then I had a unit that failed its check to form square and was disordered, and he immediately said, I'm charging that guy. <laughs> so then he rode in and charged him, and he routed him. He's like, yeah, awesome. So then he moves in the hex, but he didn't realize that adjacent to that hex that he moved into, I had two artillery batteries, right. one in each hex, that then blasted him with cannons. Spent movement now. Because to get out of the hex, or either his choice was to recall out of there or to pursue, either way he was going to Either way he's moving, yeah. And that wasn't any brilliant tactics by me. It was completely <laughs> accidental. <laughs> That they happen to be there, but we're kind of learning the rules. Probably uh, in the future, he would say, "Yeah, I'm not going to charge that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, 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 they have a bunch of random events that can occur. Like the old guard can get committed, or different leaders can be activated. Napoleon might become more active and start helping out more than he did historically. Um, one of the things I liked about it was the old guard is like really powerful in the game. Uh, they're very good at fighting, but they're the French are very vulnerable to the old guard suffering casualties. So when a corps takes a certain number of casualties, it reaches what's called the morale level. 
when it's at morale level one, that means that all of its morale checks are to minus one. But when the old guard reaches morale level one, that morale level is added to the morale level of every corps in the French army. So if the French old guard takes a bunch of casualties and they reach morale level one, that means every corps in the French army is now at morale level one. And if one of them was already at one, it now becomes two. So uh, it was kind of reflects the fact that uh, the old guard was kind of an all-or-nothing gamble for the French. You know, they, they could be incredibly effective, but if they suffered some kind of uh, negative result or some setback, like it, they did at Waterloo, it could be devastating to the French morale. So, that makes sense. So, yeah, I think it's, I thought it was a really great game. I think it's a lot of fun. It's exactly the level of complexity that I needed. Um, I don't need anything more. I don't anticipate ever going above um, the Marie Louise rules. I'm very happy with them. Um, the downsides of it are, again, the funky die, the basics dice. It's kind of weird. That 11 to 66 thing. It's weird, but it's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's basically D6s for everything. And you, you start to get mm-hmm. used to it once you've been doing it for a little bit. Um, the scenarios like- are pretty big. Like the one we played, I think, is the smallest one, and it's 30 turns. So oh, wow. We're in, like, turn seven, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there's great examples of play. They have up on the, one of the websites a walkthrough of almost every, like, shooting and assaulting and charging and pursuing. Like, they have walkthroughs with counters and picture, color pictures that kind of walk you through all the stuff. So I, I think it's great. Uh, and I think guys get a little intimidated by it because it's kind of a well-known, kind of hardcore grognard, 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 who knows, um, no. Rule set. Yeah. But Marie Louise is not bad. And in fact, the two rules that confused me the most were retreat and stacking violations. And when I actually looked online, they've rewritten them on the online version, so now they're very clear. So. Okay. Cause it, it does seem very in depth and we see it at Constant World. It looks and crazy. It looks crazy and it's a huge map with a ton of counters and the guys are playing it you know, for a week and get a couple turns in. Um, but like but, I mentioned before, Campbell came over and played it, and Campbell, you know, he, yeah. he's a sharp guy. He's but he's not like a veteran war gamer, and he didn't I think he might have beat me at Duel of Ages. You know, and I, like we're doing it on Vassal now, so I'll send him turns. And he turns it around, and uh, once hmm. you get the charts, the charts are the biggest thing. There's a lot of charts that you have to check. But generally, like, cause you'll see guys, you'd be see guys that were flipped over, and I'm like, why are they flipped over? Like, who are those guys? And, but the guys that are flipped over are skirmishers or unlimited artillery. So, all the other guys are regular units. It's that cool. combat system really intrigues me, though. I, I like interesting combat systems like that. Like, my only complaint with Tonkin would be how kind of blase the, the CRT was for it. So something like the, you know, 2D6 and base 6 system is, it's very intriguing. Well, and, and I think the beauty of it is it really, uh, brings out that kind of Napoleonic rock, paper, scissors effect where cavalry is great at melee, infantry can shoot, artillery can shoot, but if infantry forms square, it defeats cavalry, but then artillery can shoot at the square. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these different components work well against each other. Like, infantry not in square is doomed if they're attacked by cavalry usually. Um, 
But if the infantry form score, then that's when you bring in firepower and have it bring it to bear on the square. And the the the, the systems are very simple. Like for shooting, um, I mentioned the columns are not good at shooting. So uh, for a column of a battalion column, you might look at it, it might be on its printed side for for shooting. It might say nine, and you put it back on its regular side, and it's got four increments. And for if it's in line, it's on its regular side. It would say four times three, so that's twelve. So a battalion in line might shoot nine. I mean, I'm sorry, a battalion in line might shoot 12. A battalion in column might shoot nine. So the firepower is much better. Um, but the downside is if you move the line, it costs you an extra movement point for every hex you move. So, and, and so when you, when you basically do it, taking a fire shot, you add up all the fire factors that are shooting in the hex. Like say I have that same situation. I have a battalion in line and a battalion in column shooting at a unit together. 12 plus 9 is 21, and I look, okay, well, what are they shooting at? It's an infantry battalion that's in square. Well, that's a 6 on the defense factor for fire defense. So I compare 21 to 6, gives me a 3 to 1, and then I roll the dice. So, you, and you start to memorize the numbers. Like, you're like, okay, square is always 6 in the open, 7 if it's in a village. You know, you get mm-hmm. used to the numbers. So... I, so I, and I've been given ratings. I would say, uh, that, that Muscawa is not that complicated. Um, I, w- I would give it like an, I would probably give it a nine. I really enjoy it. I love the, I think it's a very beautiful game. Um, and I would probably give it maybe a, well, hell, I mean, Campbell and I were pretty good and liquored up when we were playing, so I'd say it's gotta be, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably, I would say it's six or seven beers. Um, <laughs> Uh, I must be good and liquored up too, because that took me a minute to process. <laughs> Stonewall Jackson's Way uh, was also fun. I would give it probably an eight. Uh, I think the components are prettier in Moscow, uh, mm-hmm. so I'd probably get a seven and a half to an eight. Um, and that's what you take components into your rating. Oh yes, of course. You are such a whore. I am total whore. I love it. It's I love it for it to be pretty. I mean, the Moscow game is beautiful. Really beautiful. What was um, the one we saw at Consum World? Do you that, remember? That's uh, that was Mont Saint Jean. That's Man, uh, that was that's pretty. That was pretty. That's Waterloo. Well, yeah. no, there were two that we saw. The one really close to us. Yeah, the one right next to us. Right. The other one's a different company. That's at New England Simulations. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. But Mont Saint Jean was was that was right there. That's a really cool one. Uh, that's basically Waterloo. And you can add in a Quattro Bra and a Ligny to, <laughs> to make a giant game, but that's great. Yeah, cause, cause it needs to be bigger. But yeah, so, um, I would say Stonewall Jackson's way I'd give about a seven and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't think the, the counters were that beautiful. Um, I love the map. The map's great. The, the only downside for beers is I would say, I don't think it's difficult to understand. Maybe four beers, but using tweezers, it's very important to have, to remember which way the guys are flipped, if by chance you would accidentally misflip a guy uh, and make him exhausted, it's really tough to remember whether the guy was exhausted or not. Right. So unless you're photoing every turn or your opponent's watching you while you tweezer, you got to be very careful tweezing. So if you can drink four beers and still tweeze successfully, um, or just use the suction cup tool, maybe that's a better idea. There you go. Yeah. Suction cup the entire time. Hmm. So that's it. So I would say... Uh, 
Seven and a half to eight for Stonewall Jackson's way, four beers. Moscowa is going to be a nine, and I'd give it seven or eight. Here's seven and a half beers. Interesting. So. I didn't do that for any of mine. Um, I guess I probably should. So Vietnam Solitaire, that's probably a 12 pack. I mean, it's, it's nice. a pretty, it's a, it's a simple game to play. I gave it an eight, um, for the score. Uh, the multiple ways to play kind of, you know, really speaks to me. But, I mean, I was not half in the bag, but I had had a couple playing it. And, and it's one of those games, it's a solitaire game, and it's pretty simple. So if you fuck up a turn, and, and you're gonna lose anyway, does it really matter if you forget to do something that they're gonna, right. you know, you forget to put on a couple NVA units that, that you should have rolled for. It's, it's not gonna matter terribly much. Um, the polis let's see i would give that probably an eight i had a lot of fun with it it looks nice it's yeah it's I, had pretty. Stocked, I stocked that game a bit after it was mentioned it looks good um beers i don't know it's a little you know with the euro bits i guess once you learned it it's probably seven or eight beers it's not terribly complex. It just has some of the, you know, Euro bits to it. Uh, the <laughs> Hidden Intruder, the sci-fi game, that's probably a 12-pack. Because, again, you're playing a solitaire sci-fi game. Who cares if you screw up a couple of rules? Yeah, I, I have to say, I think that the polis thing, I like that when you were talking about the aspect where it gears up kind of towards from kind of influencing to, like, total warfare. Uh-huh. That's very cool mechanism. Yeah. Yeah, the, kind of restricted, so you can't just jump in and start trying to slaughter the other guy. Yeah, and you have to build kind of that engine to even get into a position where you have enough troops and in, in the right places. And descent is like eighteen beers. Yeah, but let's be honest. Yeah. My five-year-old can play the game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. If it can be lit. Any, any man should be able to drink eighteen beers and play descent. <laughs> the the one thing I wanted to say too, just quick question for you. Uh, okay. This is going to be a Jody Arias related question, but <laughs> for you, I I prefer you know I, I know we we talk about a lot of different activation systems. Okay. Uh, the the big ones I've seen lately are chip pulls versus like a card based activation system. Right. You know, like maybe where you have events or ops or you know you have some choices with cards. Uh, versus chip pulls, and and I'm not even going to consider like kind of a dice activation. If you had to choose, like if I had to choose between chip pull and card activation, um, I think I choose chip pull because I don't like the fact that when I'm playing the game, I kind of need to know in advance what all the cards are. Hmm. To, to otherwise, I or even or even surprised. think about it with a chip pull game, it's just it doesn't matter. Something's going to get pulled. You don't have any. It's not, oh, oh, I played that card a turn too early. Right. That's one, one less thing to worry or about. Or like, I would never have done that strategy if I'd known that my opponent had that card available yeah. to him. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and the, the advantage of the cards is sometimes I feel like I don't have to think as hard because sometimes my play is obvious based on what cards I have. But, so what do you think? What's, what's your preference? I prefer chip pool. I think my, going back to Forgotten Heroes, the one thing that would make that game better is a chip pool for activation. Um, 
and it wouldn't really work with that system, so I guess that, that can't be a complaint, but I do miss that from the World at War games, that chip pool kind of light, light game. I like that mechanism. The victory, lost victory in that denied game, so I like the chip pool in that. Right, that is cool, yeah. Um, it got me thinking just because, like, when I played the Stonewall Jackson's Way game, the activation system was such a different system. Yeah, that's crazy. Where, but what happens is, like, you can go a bunch of times in a row, and that's great. But then you're stuck, and your guys are worn out because they're exhausted. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fatigued. Then your opponent knows what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and because you you're doing moves, but you never know if you're going to get the next initiative. It's just a really clever system, and it it it's been around for a while, I guess. You know, I mean, I assume that's how it was when it first started. It's 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 kind of like we're in a period now. We have so many great war games that are out. There, there's not many bad games. No, because the bad ones don't get published. Yeah. You know, before I think they did, but yeah, now it's like P500s and that kind of thing. The, the, the bad ones aren't getting through. Yeah, I just think we're very lucky right now. We've got a we're kind of in a golden age where uh, the designs and and like Stonewall Jackson's way, it's an old game. Sorry, I only assumed that it was that way when it was first designed, but really unique to me. I yeah. haven't seen anything like that where you could just win initiative turn after turn after turn. Yeah, so that's a that's cool. I I think chip pull is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, just the regular kind of movement combat, movement combat. I like those games for the most part, um, but chip pull adds that extra level of uncertainty. Right. Um, well, that, and that was the kind of that was the kind of cool thing with Muscawa. Like, you can increase your chances of a division doing something by dropping two chits in, but you're spending two command points, and it can only do one thing, so you're being less efficient, but you're trying to ensure that that division that's critical gets to do that thing that you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the, the not necessarily area impulse, but the I go, you go, where it's you get to do one thing, and then I get to do one thing, and then you get to do one thing, instead of activating all of your troops, and then I get to activate all of my troops. Do, do you like those types of systems? You mean like alternating activations? Yeah, but not you know, like so. I I move an element, then you move an element. Right. Yeah. Like which games would have that? Um. Well, Storm over, Storm over Stalingrad has that. Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, I guess Conflict of Heroes has it. has it. Um. Conflict of Heroes, you alternate yeah. activations. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I I like it. Okay. I mean, the, I'd rather the, chip pool though. Conflict of Heroes, the advantage is that in addition to the alternating, you have cards that can break that yeah. predictability of it. You know, I always said guys who play Conflict of Heroes and think, oh, the game's predictable, it's 70Ps, they're playing people who don't keep cards in their hand. You know? <laughs> yeah, they play them all. Yeah, right you're a fool. Front. In the game, you're a fool if you have less than two cards in your hand, unless right. it's the last turn. You know, yeah. that That's what creates the, the unpredictability, so... Yeah. But yeah, I and, and I play games too that are much more rigid. Like Next War Korea has, like you mentioned before, it's more of a it's a set phases, so you know when everyone's going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reaction phase, like kind of like OCS, where but you know when it's coming. But the difference that, that Next War Korea has is depending on how well you do in the turn, 
uh, you're either the initiative player or it's a contested turn. So you can have you have less actions if you didn't do as well the previous turn. So like when it's contested, it's kind of a normal turn. And when one player scores enough victory points to be better than the other guy in that turn, then he gets extra phases. That's right. I remember you talking about that. So, but, but, and speaking of that too, by the way, next war Taiwan, P500, and next war Pakistan, Indian, India. Yeah. yeah. So. This is interesting. I'm on Board Game Geek right now. Mm-hmm. One of my customers is advertising on it. It's oh, very, really? very strange. Google med- metadata is apparently tracking me a little bit too well. Yeah. That's crazy. Sorry, I didn't mean to do, derail you. That freaked me no, out. No, that's all I got, brother. That's it. Uh, so what are you looking forward to playing or buying in the next... I guess we, we already talked about buying. What are you looking forward to playing? Well, this weekend I'm playing Descent with my kids. I'm going to nice. run through a bunch of that. And, uh, oh, yeah, I guess we should tell everyone Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so big news for me. Thanksgiving's like my, my Christmas. Mm-hmm. Me too, uh, me we're too. We're not cooking. To my, we're actually ordering in. Oh. Um, so my wife has a little bit of trepidation based on the fact that we're trying out a, a restaurant that we're going to order Thanksgiving food from. That's and, interesting. But I promised her that if it's not good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be angry, but not angry at any particular person. <laughs> does, does that make a difference for her? I'm just going to be generally angry. My, my wife hates it when I'm bad. Hates it. She doesn't care who it's directed at. Yeah, I'm just like, well, well, generally in my house, if, if I'm not allowed to get mad, if I get mad, then my wife gets mad at me. So then I'm like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Like now I'm in trouble for getting mad. So. You just have to be zen. But my wife's a pretty good cook, but this week, this year, she's just like, yeah, she wants to take a break. So uh, we're going to order in. So I'm cautiously, well, I think we're ordering from uh, Mimi's. Okay. Do you guys have Mimi's? We do. So we'll see how that goes. It should be okay. I mean... Yeah, you should do okay. Yeah, it's not going to blow and, your mind, but and my wife's making like crescent rolls and like uh, she's making a pecan pie and stuff like nice. that. Nice. So she bakes. She's my wife's a very good cook, so she normally does everything. But what do you think? I usually do all the cooking. I've cooked almost every Thanksgiving since I was seventeen. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you put out there? What are your sides? Uh, traditional stuff. I do, uh, stuffing, mashed potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes. Um, I usually don't put a vegetable, oh, green bean casserole, I guess, if yep. that counts yep. for a, a vegetable. Do little things on top? Oh, of course, the, yes. the French yes. onions. Uh-huh. Um, and then we do, like, a lot of appetizers, like snacks, and we eat pretty early. Um, and then a bunch of, you know, coffee and desserts. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, turkey, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, stuffing, green bean casserole. It feels like there's something missing, but I, I, I guess that's what I make, and then whoever comes over brings, you know. Oh, like, you know what I might make my wife? I jello salad and that kind of bullshit. My wife does a corny mac and cheese. So mac, macaroni mac and cheese, and cheese with corn with in it. Ooh. Like sweet corn? Nice. I might make her do that. That's, yeah. That might little, be a side little breadcrumb on top. It's like my comfort food. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, this so year, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, it, I know you guys are just devastated that Marshall wasn't here for this. You know, it's it's hard. Change is hard. So keep your disappointment to yourself. We don't want to fucking hear about it. 
So, again, it's free. This is a free podcast. Any questions? Jason, you want to sign off? Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll be back hopefully in a month, maybe with just the two of us, maybe with just the three of us. But until then, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to see if His Majesty wants the podcast. Yeah, so bicycle. Visit us at http colon slash slash bardgamegeek.com slash build slash one six six zero or contact us at advance after combat at gmail.com. I've got an in-depth review of String Railway.